Hello and welcome to Permission to Be. Let's hit him with the remix. Oh, well, y'all got to change yes. that. Yes. <laughs> what are we doing? Uh, we, we leave our f bombs in and. Let's tell some stories. As long as white people are bound, the people in power are bound. They're gonna keep us bound to the same thing that they're bound to. Out of, out of, the, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That I think out of the overflow of the spirit, the body does. Why, why is that the best that God could offer you? Mike made it very clear that he did not want to get any of these questions beforehand. So he is getting this question live, raw, for the very first time. This is... Um, yeah. And I feel like art is the expression of the heart where uh, words fail. Oh my goodness, I have tears. Oh, y'all are killing it. Unfiltered. I feel like that's gotta sound strange. Permission to be. Uh, actually, my 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 literary agent, when we were talking about what book might I write, he was like, I mean, A Black Man with Hope is an interesting book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> hey, everybody. Tommy here. Super excited to bring you today's conversation with our friend Letty Shoemate. And so often I'm like, should we set this up? Um, and I just wanted to set this one up because what we've been doing uh, is just hitting record and see where things go. And this was a really awesome experience because we all kind of came to the microphones a little exhausted a little scattered and just took a moment to pause and gather ourselves and um, be with one another and so we hope that that is reflected in this episode and that you find something that expands you and challenges you moves you and motivates you it's also not missed on me that we are in the midst of an election season here in the United States of America. And so um, whatever ways that you are casting your ballots and your votes, um, I feel like we have been through a national trauma together. And as a nurse, one of the first things that we need to do in trauma situations um, before any healing can begin is to stop the bleeding. So maybe voting is one way to stop the bleeding when we think about those on the margins, when we think about um, applying an anti-racist lens to the policies that we support and get behind. And we hope that the conversations that we bring you here uh, at the Permission to Be podcast helps you expand and think critically about those marginalized in society, the disabled women, black women, queer people, people of color, indigenous people, fat people. So we notice a lot this season, um, but we hope you're taking care of yourself and we'll continue to do our best. We love you. Rest well. Enjoy the episode.
people are like, well, I don't like the idea of people drinking that much coffee. Okay, well, you must not have things to do. So <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Like, how are you going to do True. It's so, right? Isn't it so true? Wait, what are you doing? Because that, <laughs> my God, I don't have kids yet, and I'm just already like I'm tired. So what? I I don't know you, but I feel so endeared to you already. <laughs> One. So like. Uh, who is who is Letty? Who is Letty Shoemate? Like, um, tell me. <laughs> oh, that tickled. that was a good laugh. <laughs> I well, <laughs> I'm like this usually all the time, unless I really don't like you at all. Not oh. at all. <laughs> I kind of want to talk. <laughs> Believe it or not, it's like a hundred or nothing. <laughs> and <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I guess I'm actually. Uh, I've kind of always been this way. I don't know. Uh, growing up, I was more timid. I was quieter mm-hmm. growing up. Um, when people are like, you were quiet? No. And I'm like, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, uh, yeah, I guess the last like decade, I mean, I guess since college, God, it's been a decade. Jesus. Um, I, <laughs> I was, I was like, oh. oh, God. Yeah, I'm just like, no, I remember who asked me in a decade. So I graduated. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I just found my voice, I guess, really through like college, grad school, getting my like master's in history. I'm a historian. I'm an anti-racism educator. I'm a black woman. I, yeah, I'm, I'm all these things. I'm a facilitator. Uh, I'm a bibliophile. I love saying that word. So I always, I'm like, this is what I need. People are like, what's that? Oh, I just spend a lot of money on books. It's fine. Student loans, books, food. You know. You know, essential, right? You live once. Yesterday was like National Book Lover Day. And I was like, oh, this is so great. I can celebrate by buying four books that I haven't read the other 20 that I bought in the past six months. But it's fine. Um, but yeah, somebody was like, I wish people would stop doing zoom backgrounds with all these books, just a few. And I'm like, get off of their books. Okay. Get off of their books. (laughs) If they want to, if they want to have, you know, beauty and the beast library up in their house, that's fine. Let, let them live. Okay. Let them live. Right. Exactly. Yeah. People, oh, people come in with that. And I'm like, I don't have anywhere else to put my Big bookshelf, so I don't know what to tell you. Just yeah. get off, just get off the Zoom. I don't know, yeah. <laughs> like, get off but no, but yeah, that's um, you'll thank me for one of these books one day, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like that person, I know where all my books are on my bookshelf, and mm-hmm. uh, can I organize them a certain way mm-hmm. by like history, like year, theme, all this stuff. And so that's awesome. Yeah. Does this organization carry over into other areas? I'm yes. Oh, oh, I need lessons. <laughs> that's kind of okay, so yeah, kind of it does. But then there's also things like right now in my office I have a stack of papers and I know what's in the stack. It's a very unorganized stack, but I'm mm-hmm. like, don't, don't touch it. 
Don't touch it. If you move one thing, it's going to mess up everything else. But yeah, then there's sometimes, sometimes my brain just doesn't have time to organize though too. There's times too, I'm like, oh, I'm going to organize this closet later. I'll just keep stepping over all of this stuff until finally one day I'm like, I can't find anything and I need to do something. But then that also, I've unpacked um, some of that about myself. It's a procrastination issue and that is ruining like anxiety and all this stuff that mm-hmm. people don't talk about these things, right? Because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, I'm not talking about this. And I'm like, no, like talk about it. Yeah. We'll deal with this, right? Yeah. The organization does spill over some in other ways. I try though to not be like super type A about it because I grew up with my mom like that. Like mm-hmm. I love my, my mom, wonderful, wonderful woman. Um, but she was very to a T, very, very mm-hmm. organized where it kind of controlled her. Mm-hmm. And I have seen myself doing some of that same stuff. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't, I don't, I don't do that. So I try to like self-correct and be like, bloody, it is okay. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. this is not like this. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. All those things that we don't really talk about, and we're like, "Oh shoot, I'm 32. This is a problem." <laughs> <laughs> that's that's. I just turned 30, so I'm. As you're sitting here saying that about your mom, like what's been heavily on my mom, it, it, my mind lately is like my relationship with my mom, and like kind of like going back with what I've learned now up to this point in my life, and started to question and say like, "Well, what what made my mom?" act like that or what made her have to be the way or, you know, assert herself the way that she had to assert herself or be organized in the way that she had to organize. And I don't, I'm finding all this grace for all these like things that I would label difficult in our relationship as I like go through that process now Mm -hmm. as an adult. And so I was just like, when you said that, I was just like, Hmm, (laughs) but at the same time, there's all these things that I'm like, I ain't doing that. I'm unlearning that. We're not. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. But then, like, so I struggle with anxiety as well. Organizing makes me feel safe. (laughs) So I can sincerely relate. But I don't know about, like, so when we're unpacking and unlearning, but then things like COVID happen and it makes the world feel even more chaotic. I find myself being more rigid um, and then I have until sometimes I can catch up and in a couple of hours, sometimes it takes me days to realize like, no, you're freaking out because of everything that's going on in the world. It's not that this is a big mess at all. Yeah. And I also will uh, fill up a closet and not deal with it. <laughs> yeah. I, everything's great when it's not. And yeah, no, like that's, that's so true. Like I feel like COVID Actually, to be honest, COVID didn't even affect, I don't know how to say this. This is kind of a privileged thing to say, but privileged in the socioeconomic factor. Not, no, not even socioeconomic, mental factor, I guess. It didn't really like affect me to where I was like, oh, I want to like clean everything. I went to, I had friends who did that who are also very similar to me with like organizing. But I did find myself kind of feeling like, okay, everything's going to be okay. I have more time now to do things if I need to, which in itself is a privilege to be able to say that. Um, so yeah, there's that on that. And Tommy, what you said about your mom and the grace. Yes, I can relate to that. I 
recently finished my second master's degree in conflict management and resolution. And in that, I went into the program, first of all, if you had told me four years ago, I was going to be getting in more student loan debt to get a second master's, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> but here I am. It's great. Um, so, <laughs> I know. Oh, capitalism. But, uh, right. but oh, right. man. I won't even get on that yet, but we probably won't get there today. Uh, I got pissed off yeah. yesterday with the student loan company. So anyway, <laughs> um, on a Sunday, I was like, oh, I'm out here wild on a Sunday though. Really? So, <laughs> um, yeah, like I went into the program because I noticed that people weren't having, people weren't navigating the hard conversations the way that I thought could happen. So I was like, what can I do? in order to have the paper to say that I can do these things. Right. Cause we all know that you have to have the sheet of paper now to show anything and a blood relative sacrifice really to get anything anymore. It seems like, like you can't just like go out here and work and be able to do the job that you know that you can. So anyway, went into this like program fully expecting to learn hands-on skills about mediation facilitation which Mm -hmm. I I definitely learned how to do that stuff uh it's a lot to it but it helped me even with my personal communication like how I interact with like people not just how I'm gonna help people but like how Mm. I can fix my language like me identifying things about myself and y'all it happened really because a lot of my professors were actual therapists and counselors so they had their own practices and were like professors too so here i am taking classes on like like cognitive behavior trauma like how the body holds on to trauma and with that i was like like racial trauma and so i saw that to say tommy whenever you talk about your mom i think about like generational trauma and how we don't even realize what we're holding on to and what our DNA even is like holding on to because I had no idea about that stuff. Yeah. And yeah. right. Cause like you really, you think of trauma like, Oh, well it's like a car accident. It's <laughs> um, sexual assault. It's rape. It's domestic abuse. And that because white supremacy society tells us that that's all that it is mm-hmm. it doesn't tell us that trauma is also just you not getting the emotional needs from your mother as a kid that is traumatic but our, but we don't think of it like that i was reading the book have you all read a book the body keeps the score i haven't read it yet it is on all of my list and I talk about it all the time. It is one of those things that I have to, I I know that I need to be in the right mental space for that book. And so it's like, I want to be, I, I imagine myself once this is over being on a beach, just being like, all right, now yeah. <laughs> this is what yeah. I'm going, this is what I'm reading for fun. So <laughs> right, it's on my list. Yeah. It is so good y'all. Like that book blew me wide open. And I'm a person who reads history books, like racial yeah. justice books. And I'm reading this stuff obviously for this program, which is not like history, racial justice. And I'm reading that book for a trauma awareness class. And I was just like, Oh my God. I felt yeah. so seen reading that book and at the same time I was reading that I was reading post-traumatic slave syndrome so I was reading 
both of those at like the same time. Um, that book is by Dr. Joy DeGry. It was written in like the nineties, maybe not the nineties. It was early two thousands. I'm probably getting that completely wrong, but it's been a while since it was written. Mm -hmm. And basically what she does, uh, she is a black woman, but she goes through and she discusses how our ancestors, um, as black Americans, like being stolen from Africa, how that affected us, like just period. And I was just like mind blown. So I'm reading that I'm reading, um, the body keeps the score. And so here I am, like all these things in my life actually mm-hmm. make some sense. Yeah. yeah, It was a lot to digest at once, but it was just stuff. Like there was something in, uh, Dr. Joy DeGrad's book, post-traumatic slave syndrome. There was something that she was talking about whenever she was discussing how black parents are with their children versus white parents. So one example she gave was like how black parents will, or how white parents will often, she wasn't saying all black parents and all white parents, but she was saying, you know, from her research, she's like, no, like this is what really happens. Um, most of the time white parents will be more so like, Oh yeah. You know, like my child is a great soccer player. He does a great job. He scores all these goals, all this stuff. Like mm-hmm. crazy. They're like child. But then if this white parent is going to talk to a black parent, like their sons are together on the field playing, uh, the white parent may say like, Oh yeah, you know, I noticed your, your son is doing great too. Well, the black mom says, I mean, he gives me a lot of trouble at like home. He is not up on his grades, right? All, all of this stuff. So I read that and I was like, yo, my family does this still today. Mm. And I was like, huh. But it all was just connecting because I was reading the other book too. And it was basically saying like the reason why black parents do that more is because during enslavement, whenever you had a, a black child that was smart, that was a quick thinker that could work fast, that had positive skills there, they could be sold for more money. They could be mm-hmm. taken into the house and raped and brutalized sexually. They could all these things. So really what it was, was during enslavement, black parents doing that was a way to protect their children. Yeah. But society today would see it as, oh, these parents are just being degrading. But what happens is my mother doing that to me growing up is how her body held on to that, whether she realized it or not. Mm -hmm. She did not experience it. But my mother, but my grandma, my great grandma, her eggs were already in her body during Mm -hmm. this So it doesn't go anywhere. So it's the same way that we have an an eye color passed down. A uh, hair color passed down. You get the same stuff passed through your, mm. through your DNA, but no one talks about it. Y'all, I was mind blown. I was just like, what oh is life God. right now? Yeah. And mm-hmm. it was just really, really good. And then I went and watched like five interviews with like Dr. Joy DeGrag. I wanted to like hear more of like what she had to say mm-hmm. beyond the book. And man, these are the conversations right? That like people need to be having whenever it comes to like not race relations. I don't like saying race relations, but but I'm saying that on the show because I want people to hear that. Like saying that is problematic to me. (laughs) Like that's what we need to be discussing when we discuss socioeconomic 
issues in our country. When we discuss racism, when we discuss mm-hmm. white supremacy, like when we mm-hmm. discuss healthcare, because all of these things are combined. They're all in this together. So yes, yes, I firmly believe that. I believe the hate's passed down on the white supremacy side. That it is generations are not that far back at all. That is why. I, yes, I, everything you just said, I have um, learned parts of some of the things you've said, and I'm just adamant that this whole thing of I'm not that way, that's not me, you can't separate yourself from it. No, 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 not at all. And I was actually telling someone the other day, because I was talking about this similar situation with them, and then we got into the topic of history being so long ago, and I was like, actually, it's not. And they're like, yeah, you know, it's just there have been so many things that have happened. And I'm like, John Lewis just passed away. Emmett Till was a year younger than him. That's mm. it. That's that's it, right? But when you put it like that for people, then they're able to be like, oh, crap. Because then those black and white pictures that you see that visually put things in 200 years ago for you, you realize it's actually like 1956. Yeah. <laughs> right? yes. So, yep. yes. I was listening to Cornell West um, give a lecture on W.E. Du Bois. He did a lecture series, I forgot where, but it was on W.E. Du Bois, uh, uh, The Soul of Black Folks. But I think he also wrote uh, about the soul of white folks later on in life. And so he's talking about it and he comes to this quote (laughs) in he says that a condition of whiteness or, or white supremacy, forgot how it's phrased, is, is this inability or unwillingness to tell the truth. <laughs> yeah. And so it feels very strategic that we want to move on or we say things like, why don't you just get over it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we don't want to tell it. Telling the truth would once we recognize the truth, and I, I think, you know, when we find ourselves in the work of anti-racism, once you see the truth, you can't unsee it. <laughs> and so yeah. you're like, all right, my my mission, my values in life have now transformed in such a way that like my life is aligned in this. And so, and for, and what people don't realize, I think with Black Lives Matter movement is within that movement, we're not just calling for justice, but we're calling also for our healing, <laughs> Our, yes. in our internal healing, these like deep generational wounds. And so they try to reduce a movement um, down to what they think it is based on three words. And they miss such all of this history that backs up what creates this movement in this moment. And I don't want to call it a moment um, per se. I don't know what th- there's language around going around that right now, but is not just a moment when we think about, I say moment in the context of we will look back on, you know, this decade, these, this, this, you know, this next 50 years and what will we say about ourselves? And those are some of the questions that I'm, I'm like wrestling with today. (laughs) And it looks, it looks bleak sometimes. And so I was like, I love that. Like people like often Channy Brown are talking about like, sometimes hope just has to die. (laughs) Yes, no, I totally, what you said, the white supremacy quote, I have on my forearm right here, I have a James Baldwin quote. It's, um, people are trapped in history and history is trapped in them. Mm. Yeah. 
And I have it right there on prime real estate on my forearm for a reason. So I, I, and I don't have it there for like other people. No, I don't have any of my tattoos for, you know, other people. Um, that's why most of mine are like hidden away, but mm-hmm. I have it there even for my, for myself mm-hmm. because it's a universe, like it's, it's applied universally. And, but the reason why James Baldwin, who is my absolute favorite intellectual in history. Um, but he wrote it at a time whenever he was addressing the problem with white supremacy and with whiteness and with white people, because he always divided it into three different things, but it was all the same. I mean, it was all one, but he specifically talked about it in different ways. And that's what I love about James Baldwin. And I'm so glad people are starting to read more of his work now, but whenever I read that, like people are trapped in history and history is trapped in them. Mm. It's so true. And it encompasses what white supremacy is yes. right now. And he wrote this in like 1954. So it's, <laughs> it's like, this did not, this hasn't changed. It hasn't, it hasn't gone anywhere. Mm-hmm. It hasn't changed. And that's why I get really frustrated and people say things like, oh, well, this is just a recent thing. And I'm like, where y'all been? I've known about this for a long time. I've been black my whole life. Black people been here. Like, racism has been here, right? It's like, it didn't start with, like, Ahmaud Arbery. It didn't just start with George Floyd. It didn't start because white people, you decide that now you feel bad. Yes. No, it doesn't. Like, I distinctly remember, like, seeing Klan flyers black back home when I was in, like, middle school. Like, this isn't anything new. It's just what people, I think, also don't take into account enough is how far advanced we are with technology. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. You don't, don't take that into account. And I'm like, mm-hmm. y'all, imagine what, like, September 11th would have been like if we had phones. Can you even imagine? Can you even uh, imagine? No. Gruesome. Absolutely right. gruesome. Yeah. Right. right. It would have been a whole different level. And so remember, I hear people today say things like, oh, well, we've never had a racist president. Biden said that. I'm just like, really? Because uh, really all of them Except Obama, because he's black and he, as a black man in America, if you think about racism as a as power, I don't care if he was the president. He still didn't have the power that white men had, and people get mad about that. And I'm like, don't don't mind me on that <laughs> with with like with with other people. But whenever Biden said that the other day, I was just like, word, because. Whenever you say that, then you simplify what racism is. Mm, you're, yeah, you're looking at it right, like a, like it's covert only, and I mean, sorry, like it's overt only and not covert. And so I was just like, okay, so we're just going to like forget about Clinton and the basically the second wave of like the war on drugs. Since we've about that, okay, I'm just going to forget about like all the legislation that Bush Jr. decided he was going to sign because he didn't give it. He he didn't care either. So we're just going to forget about all, forget about the actual presidents that own enslaved people and rape them. Mm-hmm. Forget about the presidents that profited off of convict leasing and slave labor camps. Forget about the presidents that literally signed legislation to turn a blind eye to lynching in the South. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I'm, 
I'm going off on a tangent, y'all. But I train, go, go. We call that preaching here. We call that preaching. I get so frustrated because that's the kind of stuff, right? When the people say, see, because I always see things automatically, like levels and levels deeper. And sometimes mm. I wish that I only like math or something because <laughs> my brain is always moving all the time. And so whenever I heard him say that, I was just like, all right, that's when to give fuel to people. Doesn't matter what party you are in because whiteness is just whiteness, period, right? Yep. And like, so I'm just listening, or no, reading reading this, and I'm like, okay, now people are gonna look at that and say, see, this is why Black Lives Matter isn't even necessary. See, they're starting all this stuff now. See, this hasn't been a problem before. Trump was our first racist president. We've never had these problems. And so then you have people who take that they take that and they say, okay, I'm going to take this. This is why I don't have to speak up because he's going to get voted out. They don't see the bigger picture. They don't, they don't see the institutional and the systemic racism that got him in there. They don't see it because they see a white man say some backward stuff that's not even correct. And they're like, oh, all right, I'm good. No. cracked open the nasty vault that's always been there Uh, Mm -hmm. that's all he did he just yeah just like you said it's always been there actually for some of us he just woke us up to oh it's been dirty for so so long Mm -hmm. so long yes there's a lot of there has always been from the day that enslaved black people were freed there has been anger i mean intense anger from white america and so if you look at history, real history books, not McGraw Hill, because that's crap. Um, like, <laughs> real, real history, right? The, whenever I tell people real history, I'm like, if you read history and you read sources and you do the like, you, you, you do the research and you're not moved by it, you're not reading the right history. Because I've read some things where I've had to be like, I have got to put this down for a second. Um, I've read, you know, like primary sources of like diary entries or written accounts of what happened to black women who were enslaved and how they were tortured. I've read that and I've had to put it down because it literally made me hurt reading it. Um, but then I went back and I finished reading it because again, for whatever reason, God's like, this is what you're supposed to do. And I'm like, can I just write numbers or something? And not like, no, no, I'm kidding. But no, I'm I'm glad that I have the strength and stuff to do this work. But yeah, there there's just there's just so much and really the bigger umbrella of this too, or the bigger thing with this is there's so much that people don't want to deal with. Oh yeah. Right? People don't want to deal with themselves. They don't want to deal with what it really takes to make a change. And they look at history and see these remain or they have these romanticized views of it. Like a lot of people were talking about John Lewis and I was glad to see that because John Lewis inspired me in grad school. I was studying about him 
in the 60s and like the early 50s or in the late 50s even. And those people are quoting him and I'm like, that's great, but y'all don't need to put him into a box as a safe black man who you can go and say, see, he did it the right way. He was nonviolent. I'm like, really? Because he almost died like five times. Literally almost died. To the point where, like, like skull fractures are quite serious, right? Like, <laughs> quite liter- serious. right, quite serious. And um, I mean, and these were things that were thought out and planned out by white people. And so that's the part too. Whenever you look at what happened, for example, on Bloody Sunday, whenever they are marching across Edmund Pettus Bridge, news. Okay, the media was already there, so they had already mm-hmm. planned it. They had, they yeah. they already had it planned. They were plant. They plan on being there. Um, but I mean, you look at the pictures, you don't see the weapons that the sheriffs mm. and the troopers and like the cops had. They have bats with nails in them, actually nails in, in the bats, beating people with them. They, <sighs> they had to make those. Right. So it's like, y'all, they were ready to hurt them. This wasn't a thing of, oh, well, it just happened to happen. No, yeah. <laughs> no. And so whenever, and then also what happens is people look at history, they don't realize how long things took. They're only mm-hmm. reading, they're only looking at the pages in a book. So if, if you're reading about civil rights movement and you grew up reading it in a chapter in a history book, that's five pages long, your yep. mind is going to think, Oh, wasn't, wasn't long. Yes, it was. And they don't tell you about the bomb threats. They don't tell you about the people who were beat. They don't, they don't tell you about people who were lynched and were never reported. They don't, they don't tell you about all of this history. So then what happens is how our brains work. We only process it in the way that we see it. Mm-hmm. Not the way that it really is. Unless someone tells you differently and you choose to not be an ignorant person and actually give a crap about the history. Um, and so that's why I do what I do. <laughs> and I... <laughs> read all the stuff and I research and I tell people because like there are things that my parents didn't know. My parents were born. So my dad was born in 1945 and my mom was born in 1951 in North Carolina. Whenever my dad was 18 years old, he could not go vote. Right. So, you know, people don't, they don't understand. And they're like, Oh really? Your, your dad. Yeah. Do the math. 1945. Like, (laughs) and so even after that, even after 1965, he still couldn't just go vote somewhere because he still had a lot of States and counties, towns, cities that were like, uh, we'll we'll enforce it next year because the legislation doesn't just go through automatically. That's not how the law works. You have like a time where it has to be like enforced and you have to make sure this being enforced. Do y'all really think that like these Southern States were like, all right, let's give black people their rights. <laughs> no man. No. Well, you think <laughs> while we have Juneteenth, it wasn't like, Oh, emancipation proclamation. You're free. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, that's, that's a really good yeah. point. Yeah. That's exactly right. And people don't, I think people think like just because a law is passed, that means that everyone abides by it. Like y'all do know there were like 11 years between Brown v. Board and Civil Rights Act, right? You do know that. Like it wasn't Brown v. Board of Education did not cure segregation. Mm -mm. No, 
My people were big mad. I mean, so mad that in in his book, oh, uh, they're still he, mad. Oh, uh, right, they're so mad. They are still so mad, and they're trying to do everything they can. Timothy Tyson in his book, The Blood of um, Emmett Till. Have you all read that? I'm writing it down. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's, um, it's a really hard book to read. Timothy Tyson also wrote a book years ago called Blood Doesn't Sign My Name. That is actually a video, but it's about, uh, it's a case um, about a lynching that happened in Oxford, North Carolina. Mm. And yeah. Uh, But the blood of Emmett Till, the history research for that took years and it took like three research teams to do it all. Because he basically, he also talked to like Carolyn Bryant and got her to, like, she admitted to him. It's like in the book that she, that Emmett Till didn't do what he did. And I was like, oh, word, how did, how did he finish writing the book? Because I would have been in jail. I would have been like, oh, word, so I'm here with you right now. I need, like, I don't know if I can stand here with you. I don't, I don't think I could do that with anyone that yep. did something like that. And in the book, though, he basically has a lot of information about, what really happened to Emmett Till. It's like an entire chapter about the torture that he experienced. Like he found interviews with, uh, and um, from like the actual court case, he found them in basements or something. He found them somewhere, all this information. And one of them is a man who was walking by the barn that morning, like by the shed and heard what was happening. Yeah. I was like bawling my eyes out at like the very end of the book but it's a book that everyone needs to read because what he also does is he talks about the people who did them who committed um, the lynching he he talks about the family he talks about who the Bryants were he shows their ties to like the police to the sheriffs the the, the clout they had like all this stuff he, he builds it up for you to see how hateful and evil these people were. And what he also does is he connects it to Brown versus Board of Education. And he talks about how angry white people were in Mississippi that um, Brown v. Board actually passed. And how many things were happening in Mississippi to directly like rebel against that. that people don't even know about. And so then you have this um, black child that comes from Chicago and they're so angry that they torture and brutalize and kill a 14 year old child. But the way that he tells the story, if people read that book and they're not convicted to change, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it's gonna take. <laughs> uh, not to go dark on that topic, but I really wanted to talk about that because that's the history that you don't hear about. Yeah, um, I'm am tired of us apologizing for being dark. It is it is true. It is who we it's who we are. One, our skin is dark. First of all, for, first of all, blackly <laughs> black, black, black as fuck, y'all. Yes. Yes. <laughs> But like also like our history is is dark and Mm -hmm. riddled with pain and not just, you know, we paint whiteness as this light, but that history is dark too. 
and <laughs> and evil and yes yeah. so, and it's like I'm, I'm tired of apologizing for these to focus on the good things I can be joyful and lament all in one yes oh my god I'm, I'm gonna like I need to like write that down somewhere because you put that in such a good way oh my gosh that's exactly how I feel so much of the time and people be like oh I, like last year a person asked me like do you ever read things that are happy i said oh you mean things that aren't about y'all like slaughtering us as black people <laughs> that's it. i was just like oh we're like okay yeah like what i mean this is this is american history this is not made up it's like people say things like oh like I feel like there were better times before in our country. They mentioned all these times and I'm like, oh, really? Because in like 1935, this this thing was happening. Oh, really? Well, on this day in that year, this thing was happening. Like, there's, there is a lot. And there's another Baldwin quote that's about uh, basically how America's history is so dark and beautiful, but he says all these other negative words about it. And he's just like, it is what it is. And it's like, y'all, y'all did this. Like, you did this mm-hmm. and yeah uh, yeah yeah y'all did when this. it's pretty pictures it's just supremacy history that's all it is like it's not truthful it's not lived experience and we're not going to make it through and live but we're not gonna find a way through this unless we acknowledge what we really walked through what white supremacy has caused and been built into the foundations of when this country was birthed. There's hundreds of years of healing and it's not going to be healed in 2020. No. I I was just thinking about that and we were talking earlier and you mentioned capitalism and I, and I'm wrestling with this idea. I know that when I, when I look even at a worldview, like racism is just a slice (laughs) of oppression. Right. Mm. And you go down just that one slice of oppression and it's just, you know, and you go through this apocalypse and peel back all the layers and it just disrupts you. But, and then, you know, you have, we haven't even touched patriarchy or, or, but and, and capitalism at that. And I'm wrestling right now as I'm trying to understand more of the nitty gritty details of capitalist systems, capitalist structures, um, as I'm thinking about it, what I feel like is happening right before our eyes is we're creating this black elite class via capitalism Mm -hmm. (laughs) because capitalism always, it thrives on inequity. It, it, there Mm -hmm. has to be an equity for, in the terms of labor, um, and those who have capital, and what that, and we don't want to talk about what that actually looks like and what that plays out as in our society. And so we in turn glorify um, capitalism. And so I was listening to Ruth Gilmore Wilson the other day talk about how racism and capitalism are sort of intertwined. And I was just curious in terms of like, as you've sort of gone through your journey of history and studies, what have you looked into that at all? I haven't like specifically like looked into it in the terms of like, I'm only going to focus on this one thing that I want to look up. But what I will say is I, 
it's always there. Like it's, it's always there with all the history that I mm-hmm. do study. And the reason why I say that, uh, interesting you're bringing this up because, well, that we're all bringing this up <laughs> because <laughs> the other day or like maybe a couple weeks ago, casually like 10 o'clock at night, I'm looking at a video from 1973 with Stokely Carmichael and Antoine Davis and Fannie Lou Hamer. Again, casual watching it. 10 p.m. Um, about <laughs> racism and capitalism in 1973. And listening at Angela Davis, if people heard that, they would say, oh, that was said in like 2020 America. It's the same thing that like we're, we're dealing with. But um, I say that, Tommy, to answer your question of, yes, like I come across it all the time because capitalism you don't have America without capitalism. You just don't. And so whenever we think about capitalism, at least what used to come to my mind was like Wall Street or like wealthy white men. Okay. Right. You know, we, we, yes, we these, too. these images. Yeah. And, but really what capitalism is, is, uh, the labor of enslaved black people, the labor of, yeah. um, indigenous people, who were also enslaved in a different way in America. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah. And so you know, think about capitalism, think about like the wealth, like I think it was like 80% of America's wealth at one point um, was just enslaved labor. Was from, was from enslaved labor. Yeah. And so whenever you connect everything, right? So like, let's say you're looking at uh, the, re- the reconstruction era. When you're looking at like convict leasing and what that was, why it even was a thing. Um, basically, it came about because there was also a loophole in the 13th Amendment and came about because racism and white supremacy and a way to enslave black people legally. And I mean, you look at that though, and you look at the slave labor camps, people don't know even about the slave labor camps. And they only think of convict leasing. There's another part of that. You can then take the convicts and you can, and I'm using that word because of what I'm talking about. You would take these black convicts and you could trade them. And then they they would just end up at a slave labor camp somewhere with no documentation. Yeah, it's like, it's wild. So that money though, whenever you trace back like banks that we have today, when we trace back a lot of stuff, it's directly tra- traced back to those companies that profited from it. Y'all, it is enough to make you want to burn everything down. Like, whenever yeah. I read Slavery by Another Name, I was like, hmm. okay, so I cannot do anything in this country without basically benefiting from previous, like, we're we're all in it, mm-hmm. right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's yep. why I say like, we're all born into white supremacy culture. Mm-hmm. We're all born into it. And so capitalism is something that we're all, we're, we're all dealing with it. And it's always been here, but it hasn't, but capitalism is also seen in ways like red, redlining and yeah. ger- gerrymandering, right? Cause mm-hmm. that, we think about uh, schools and money and colleges and, mm-hmm. and all these things going to it it's it's just connecting the dots is what's tricky it's kind of like uh, whenever you're connecting like a detective map like the red 
tank that's going everywhere, swimming mm-hmm. in my brain all the time. And I'm like, I'm here and there and there and there. And because that's how history works. But we still, capitalism is also what makes us think that we can't rest, right? Yeah. Like, Mm-hmm. Capitalism is what makes us think that we have to always be going because capitalism mm-hmm. is directly correlated with white supremacy. Oh, yes. White supremacy, going back to what you said, Tommy, it's literally like a full circle. It's, it's, it's just all connected there together. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to part one of our conversation with Letty Shoemate. Make sure you come back for part two as we turn it up a notch and also subscribe and find us on social media permission to be podcast look forward to hanging out with you soon